So if you haven't done so, would you turn your Bible to John chapter 13? We're going to, uh, we're going to concentrate our time in God's Word um, looking at a passage of Scripture that has to do with that last supper of Jesus Christ. It was the night before he was going to be hung on that cross, the night in which he was betrayed. And Jesus and his, his disciples, they went off into a house and, and they had what then was Passover meal. But at that Passover meal, Jesus gave new, new meaning to those elements at the Passover meal. And so for us, that was the last Passover meal and the first communion meal, the first Lord's Supper. And, and so as we have opportunity in a little bit to come together uh, at the Lord's Supper, I just thought it would be good for us to think about this passage of Scripture. So I know we prayed, but I think it would be good to settle our hearts and, and to concentrate our minds and to ask for the Holy Spirit to be moving and working in our hearts. So would you pray with me? Our dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. Thank you that you have given it to us, that we might know who you are, that we might understand how to know Jesus and have a relationship with you through him. And Father, today, uh, thank you for your word, that we might see what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to do the things that Jesus did, specifically in the area of servanthood. Lord, I am incredibly challenged by this example that Christ gave to us personally. And so I pray that you would continue in my own heart to be working, but I pray also for each and every one in this place that you'd be working in our hearts by the moving of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word. Thank you for our time, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a question for you. When I say the word servant... What comes to your mind? Servant. For some people, it might be the cast of Downton Abbey. Some of you are Downton Abbey followers, and you've watched maybe the series. Mona and I have watched all of it except for the very last one. We've got to find that last season. But anyway, uh, maybe it's the cast of Downton Abbey. Uh, and, and you know that they are as a group of servants there. Maybe it's a, it's a waiter that has the towel around his arm as he carries the silver platter to your table. Maybe that to you is a, a servant. Can you see those well? Maybe it's, maybe it's the chauffeur, the one that drives people around. He is the one that you say, home, James. And he says, yes, sir, and takes you home. Or maybe it's those who wash and iron the clothes. Maybe those are the servants that you think of. Or perhaps it's just one down there scrubbing the floor. I was thinking about it this morning, and I guess this describes a lot of moms, doesn't it? Right? Some of you are going, hey, that's a mom right there. Servant. What is a servant? Well, you know, we have all sorts of examples and all sorts of things that we could look at to kind of help us understand what a servant is and, and perhaps give us an understanding of what we think of as we think of a servant. But this morning, I want us to focus in on this simple fact. Jesus is a servant. He is a servant. And in our passage today, he's going to reveal that to us. 
that Jesus is a servant. Because uh, we're going we're gonna to read all of it in a moment, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to do something weird this morning, and I'm going to take the second portion of our passage and start there, okay? This is the passage where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It's at the Passover meal or the first Lord's Supper, and he gets up from that meal, and at one point he washes his disciples' feet. Look with me at verse 12 of John chapter 13. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them. So Jesus has just washed their feet, and what I like to do is see his instructions here at the end and allow that to set us up for what comes at the first part of this passage, okay? I know I'm doing this differently. I'm, I'm shaking things up. I'm kind of starting with the ending first. And you know, I know you're not supposed to read the ending of a good book. But in this case, I think it's going to help us for our purpose this morning. Jesus gives this instruction after he washes the disciples' feet, the middle of verse 12. He says, do you understand what I have done to you? And then notice what he says. You call me teacher and Lord. You call me teacher and Lord. Teacher and Lord. Two terms that we need to just kind of grab a hold of for a moment. Teacher. It's the idea of rabbi, one who instructs, one who gives uh, truth and hands it down to students. You call me rabbi. You call me one who you are learning from. And you also call me Lord. Now, this is not, in your Bible, it's not all the capital letters Lord. It's, it's the L-O-R-D-O-R-D in, in small uh, letters, right? Which means it's not Yahweh, so he's not using the term Yahweh. He's using the term here of master, of Lord, of boss. So you call me teacher, you call me one who gives you truth, and you call me boss or master, and notice what he says. And that's what I am. He says, that's what I am. Jesus starts out instructing the disciples after he's washed their feet with this very clear understanding. He says, I am Lord and teacher. Now that comes into play. That comes, that, that's very important for us to get our mind around. See, some people today would not call Jesus Lord they might call him a good teacher, right? They might say, oh, he taught some good moral stuff in the Bible. You know, things that we should really follow. But you add the word Lord to it, and you're saying, he's not just a good teacher, but he's the boss. He's the master. He's the one that I must obey when we call him Lord. So Jesus is saying, listen, here's what you call me. And then Jesus affirms it. It's true. I am Lord, and I am teacher. It is true. And the reason why that's important to understand is for what he says next. Look with me at verse 14. He says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. So here's the Lord and teacher, our master and rabbi, the one that we're learning from, the one that we call our boss. And he says, if I've washed your feet, then I am showing that I am an example to you. If I wash your feet, Jesus says, then you need to be willing to wash one another's feet. Okay. Now in a moment, I hope that's going to become uh, an understood thing and, and how, how lowly and humiliating 
that truly is. But he goes on. He says, verse 15, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is basically saying, follow the server. How many of you have played follow the leader before? You played follow the leader? I remember, I remember it's been a while since I played, but I remember playing and, and you know, you're, you're kind of going all over the place and climbing up things and down things and, and you're kind of making weird noises and clapping and making people do follow the leader, right? Jesus is not saying follow the leader. He's saying follow the server. I have served and you need to follow me in that. And then he goes on and he makes this statement in verse 17. It's a promise. It's a promise to those who would follow the Lord and teacher in servanthood. Notice what 17 says. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's so much I could talk about right there. Because I think in our Christian culture of America today, we know a lot of things, right? Oh, man, we have got theology and doctrine. We know it. You can get online, and you can read all about theology and doctrine. You can read all about different passages of scriptures, different commentators, and what they say about the... We know a lot of things. But I agree with somebody who once said that Christians only obey 10% of what they actually know. See, Jesus is saying it's not blessing if you know these things. It's a blessing if you do these things. And what's he talking about specifically? Serve. You know it's right to serve. You can read in the Old Testament the Ten Commandments and how you're to treat one another and, and, and all these things and how you're to serve one another. You, you know this. But now in my example, you've seen how to do it and that's when you're blessed. You know that word blessed? It means this. It means very, 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 very happy. That's what blessed means. I took a long time just to kind of get your attention because I was afraid that I had lost you. But it means you are very, 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 very happy if you do these things, if you serve one another, you are very, very happy. I want to tell you something here real quick, and, and probably this is more for adults here today than, than kids. There are a lot of people today in our culture that are depressed and down and discouraged, and they have bad self-image. I don't mean to make fun of those people. I know that is legitimately what they're going through. But I want to encourage you here. In some cases, medication is necessary. But in other cases, servanthood will make you blessed. Servanthood will make you happy. In some cases, having a good self-image and understanding who you are in Jesus Christ is necessary. But in other cases, going out and serving someone is what brings that blessing, is what brings that happiness. So please, let me say this. I'm not putting down medication Okay, And I'm not putting down a, a, a proper self-image. I'm, I'm using that in terms of who God says we are. Okay, I, I want you to understand. Please, I knew I was going to get in trouble if I did not clarify that. 
All I'm simply saying is in most cases, if we go out and serve, that's where the happiness and the joy comes. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, I, your Lord and your teacher, have left you an example to follow. So you serve one another like I've served you. And when you do this, you will be blessed. So what we're saying is this. We need to be followers of Christ who serve like the Savior. We need to be brothers and sisters who serve one another as Jesus Christ served His disciples. We need to be a church family that is concerned about one another so much that we're willing to do whatever it takes to serve one another. We need to serve like the Savior. But here's the question, and this is where I want to camp on the rest of our time as we come to communion. What does it look like to serve like the Savior. I mean, it's one thing to say it, and it's kind of snappy. It's a statement that easily is on my mind. I can remember I need to serve like the Savior, right? It's, it's a great statement, and it's a truthful statement, but let's get to the nitty-gritty. What does it look like? What does it mean to serve like the Savior? That's where the first 12 verses come in, and that's where I'd like us to dive in, okay? I'd like us to see three things. And, and man, I tell you what, I was talking to Mona, and first I said, I'm going to have five points this Sunday, and then I'm going, ah, I'd never get through that. So maybe we'll do four. Well, it's down to three now, okay? But these are three very general, very important truths about the way Jesus served, okay? And, 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 and the first is found in these first several verses. Let me start at verse 1. So John chapter 13, go back to verse 1. Here's the setup for this whole thing that he just said that we read. Verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. (gasps) Now, did you catch all that? i got to be honest with you. When I studied through that, I was like, oh my goodness, there's so many statements that John is making. John's making a commentary on Jesus and what was going on before he got up from the supper table to serve his disciples. And I, I honestly, to be honest with you, I got confused reading those things. Okay, okay he knew this and this was going on. So let me, let me see if I can just put it in, in short understanding sentences. First of all, Jesus knew something. John is trying to tell us Jesus knew some things here. First of all, Jesus knew of his impending agony. The the scripture says he knew that the hour had come. He knew that he was going to be betrayed that night, and he knew that he was going to be on the cross the next day, and that he was going to die a horrific, horrible, painful death on that cross. Jesus knew that. Jesus also knew that God the Father had given him authority. The Scripture says that the Father had given him all things. The Father had given him all things. He had authority over all things. So here's Jesus. He knew he was going to die. He knew of his impending agony. He knew that he had full authority over all things. What else did he know? He knew his ultimate destiny. He knew that he had come from the Father. 
And that after he had died and rose again, he would go back to the Father. He knew his ultimate destiny. That's what John is describing for us here. But in the midst of all this, he knew he had a servanthood priority. Think about it for a second. If you were told today that tomorrow you're going to die, we don't like to think of that. But I'm suggesting let's think of that for a moment. If you were told that tomorrow you were going to die, what would you do the rest of this day and through tomorrow? Some might gather family and gather friends and just have a special time around them. Some might be on their knees confessing, making sure they're right before the Lord. Others might say, hey, let's go out, drink, and be merry because tomorrow I really do die. I don't know what you would do. But you know what Jesus did? Knowing all these things... He served. Isn't that amazing? To be honest with you, serving probably would be the last thing on my mind if I knew that tomorrow I was going to die. But Jesus served. He knew all these things. And yet He he served. So Jesus knew this, but then notice what Jesus did. First of all, Jesus got up from the supper. And then verse... Let me find it here. I, I know I have it. Uh, oh my goodness, I can't find Oh, right there, verse 4. So he got up from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking his towel, he tied it around his waist. And he's getting ready to go and to wash the disciples' feet. So let me give you the first, the first thing, that the first characteristic of somebody who wants to serve like the Savior, that they see the needs around them. They see the needs of others. If we want to be people who serve like the Savior, we need to see the needs of others. Why do I say that? Jesus knew certain things, but he got up to wash the disciples' feet. Why? Because that was a major, major need. Now, you've got to transport with me back into those days, okay? First of all, you need to recognize that the roads that they would walk on, by the way, they didn't have cars, Okay? They didn't have cars. If you were rich, you had a a chariot-type thing, but that was usually the Roman leadership and soldiers that had chariots. Most people, including Jesus and his disciples, walked on these roads. They weren't paved roads. They were dirt roads. And especially in the summer time, the heat of that time, the roads would be super, super dusty. Now, I go hunting once in a while, And that's why it's called hunting, because I don't usually get anything. I just hunt for them. But I go out hunting, and I have a nice pair. Well, they're worn out now because I've used them, but but they're still a nice pair of Danner boots. Danner boots. We were just over in Portland, right close to the Danner uh, outlet factory. Is that what it was, babe? Anyway, that that was, I'm sorry, I got off there. But I have this pair of boots, and I put those boots on when I go out hunting. And if it's a dry day... I will come home, and even through my boots, I will take them off, and my socks will be brown. They'll be dirty. And I think, okay, that's all right. But then I take my socks off, and lo and behold, the top of my toes are got, have got dust and dirt all over them. And I won't tell you that I have hairy toes, so it kind of sticks to it. So I didn't, I didn't tell you that. But nonetheless, even wearing boots, my feet get dirty. Guess what? They wore sandals in Jesus' day. They're walking on these dusty roads. It's hot out, so they're sweating. Even their 
feet are sweating, and they get to this house where Jesus and his disciples are going to participate in the, in the Passover meal together. Now, it was common courtesy for somebody who hosted guests to either wash the feet of their guests or to have their servant do it. And usually the servants, if they had servants, it was usually the servant of the servants that would do it. It was the lowest of all servants. So here, I'm setting it up. Here's Jesus, his disciples. They're into this room, and evidently there was no servant to wash their feet. And evidently their feet wasn't washed by the the owner of the home either. Maybe he was gone or whatever. Now, I've, I've wondered here, what do you think the disciples were doing? I mean, it would have been common. They would have understood, this is a great, big, huge mistake. They're not washing our feet as we come in. We're the guests. Our feet are filthy. They're stinky. They're dirty. And nobody's here to wash them for us. What do you think the disciples were thinking? I'm better than Judas. Judas, get down and wash our feet, Right? How about uh, James and John? You know, they wanted to be on, on the right and left hand of the Lord, so I'm sure they weren't even considering washing the feet of the other disciples. I mean, they were important dudes. And so the disciples weren't even thinking about washing one another's feet. And I don't know for sure, but I get this visual that as they started that Passover meal, they weren't really focused on the meal itself. They were thinking, how come nobody washed our feet? It stinks in here. It's dirty. And so Jesus sees the need. He recognizes something needs to be done here. And you know what he did? He ordered Judas to wash their... No, is that what he did? No. He got up from the supper, and the Scripture says he took off his garments. And that leads into our second point. See, if we're going to serve like the Savior, first of all, we need to see the needs of others, but we need to be willing to stoop low in serving others, in in, in meeting the needs. We need to stoop to meet those needs. Because what Jesus does here is amazing. He humbles himself before the disciples. Now think with it. Think with me, rather. What did we just look at who Jesus is. What what did Jesus say he is to these men? Lord and teacher. So Jesus could have easily instructed one of his students, one of his pupils, to wash his feet. But instead, Jesus gets up and he takes that lowly position. And and I want to just point out some things. First of all, he takes off his outer garment, which is basically he's in his undergarments. You know what that means, right? Seriously, he's in his undergarments. And he and he and he takes the outer garments off. He also uh, uh, not only takes off his outer garment, but he grabs this this towel. And he, and he wraps it around his waist. And it's the towel that he's going to use to wash the feet off. So this towel is going to get yicky. It's going to get dirty. I envisioned for some reason in my mind that it was a white towel. And I imagine by the time he's washed, done washing 12 pairs of feet, it is a pretty dark black towel. And probably pretty stinky and rancid. 
So he's taken this towel. And, and, and then what he does is he, he humbles himself at each of the 12 disciples as he has to get down in front of them. And he's down low. They're sitting and he's down. He humbles himself. He stoops down to meet their needs. Can you imagine what their toes look like? Oof. I'll bet Peter had ingrown toenails. I don't know for sure. But that would have been not very, very, very nice. But Jesus stooped to meet their needs. He got down. He got low. He served them by stooping to meet their needs. Have you ever watched somebody who has the gift of service, the spiritual gift of service? I have. I, I remember uh, Pastor Levi. If you remember Levi Manitzis, he was on staff here for a while. That guy had the gift of service. I mean, he could recognize needs just like that. He'd talk to you for five minutes, and that afternoon he'd be over at your door knocking and saying, hey, I remember you said you needed firewood. I'm here to help get firewood. Levi just picked up on those things. He saw the need, and he was willing to do whatever it took to meet the needs of others. I don't have that spiritual gift. And I'm not saying that that excludes me from having to do it. I need to do it. But I just don't see the needs like those people who have the gift of service do. He sees the needs and he stoops down to meet those needs. And that's not just those who have the gift of spir- uh, a spiritual gift of service, but each and every one of us are called to meet those needs even by stooping low. In 2006, my family and I had the opportunity to go to New Orleans with Pastor Levi. Pastor Levi led a group from this church, a a bunch of teens, and then a few of us adults, and we went to New Orleans to muck out houses after Hurricane Katrina. Oh my word. I have never smelled smells like I smelled then, and I haven't smelled smells since. I remember one house we went to, and you got to understand, these, these houses were, you know, you could see the watermark where the water had come up, but they'd been sitting for months and months. And the worst part of it all was when you went to open up the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there was one refrigerator, Kara, I'm sure, remembers because she was gagging. Courtney was throwing up almost. There was Parmesan cheese. In the refrigerator. At least that's what we think it was. But it was a smell that I have... Oh my goodness. We got into some icky, gross stuff. And all I'm talking about is is stooping low. We got to meet the house owners. The owners of these houses that we mucked out houses. uh, And we were just there to serve them. To help them. To get this gross junk out of their house. See, that's what a servant does. That's what somebody who seeks to serve like the Savior does. They not only see the need, but they also stoop even to meet those needs. So Jesus stooped down low. And that's why we have Peter. Peter responds. Peter, When Jesus comes to Peter, um, let, let's read it. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. But Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Why? 
Because Peter recognizes, here's my Lord, here's my teacher, and he's stooping so low. This ought not be. I should be washing his feet. He should not be washing mine. Peter got it. Peter recognized how Jesus was stooping so low. But notice what Jesus said in verse 8. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. (laughs) So here's typical Simon Peter. He goes from one extreme to the other. So he says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus says to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. What Peter understands is Jesus is stooping low to meet their need. And he complains, and we're going to look at this in a moment, but what Jesus is saying is there there comes the day, in fact, it's going to be tomorrow, Jesus is saying, basically, when you will be thoroughly washed through my death and resurrection. And you only need to do that once. Jesus is explaining. He's looking forward to that day when he talks to Peter here. But Peter recognizes it. So we understand this morning, if we're going to serve like the Savior... We need to see the needs of others. We need to stoop to meet those needs. But we need to stoop to meet those needs. And here's the third thing. Without, and it's another S word, but it's a weird word, but it's an honest word. I looked it up in the dictionary. Without selectivity. Isn't that a good word? Selectivity. Without selectivity. Do you know that one of those people that had their feet washed by Jesus was Judas. Judas Iscariot. What do we know about Judas? He betrayed Jesus, didn't he? He was the one that had betrayed Jesus. He was the one that was going to point out Jesus to the Roman soldiers even later that night. Did Jesus know this about Judas? Absolutely. He knew, he knew that, that Satan had, had used Judas to do this. He knew that his betrayer was in the room. And listen to this. He still washed Judas' feet. Have you ever been betrayed? Some of you aren't going to answer, are you? Have you ever been betrayed? You know what it is like. Maybe a good trusted friend, somebody you thought you could really put your trust in, and all of a sudden, all you know is they betrayed you. And it hurts. And and in our flesh, we want to lash out at them. But here's Jesus, not lashing out. Instead, washing Judas' feet. I mean, it's gross enough to wash somebody's feet let alone somebody who is betraying you. And so Jesus washes Judas' feet. He is not selective in who he serves. He could have easily said when he got to Judas, oh, not you. I'm moving on. You're, you're, you're betraying me. You're unlovely. You're somebody that doesn't serve me, so why in the world should I ever think about serving you? He could have said all sorts of things, but guess what? Verse 12 says he washed all their feet, including Judas. So if we are going to be servants, if we're going to serve like the Savior, not only do we see needs, 
And we stoop to meet those needs, but we do so without being selective in who we serve. You see, it's easy to serve those who are lovely, isn't it? It's easy to serve those who are like me, and and maybe they'll give me something back, right? That's easy to serve. But what about somebody who's betrayed you? What about somebody who stabbed you in the back? What about somebody who constantly puts down the way that you clean house or the way that you operate your business or whatever it might be? See, those people might be a little more difficult to serve. But Jesus shows us there is no selectivity in serving if we want to serve like Him. He served Judas's feet. Wow. I mean, he washed them. That's amazing. So let me ask you this. Is this the ultimate example that we see in Jesus of servanthood? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know what Mark 10, 45 says? This is Jesus speaking. He said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then he he, he takes this little line. And to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve, not just to wash the disciples' feet, but to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the ultimate act of service is at the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate act. Jesus came to serve, not just his disciples, Not just the Jewish people of his day. He came to serve each and every one of us. Regardless of the day in which you live. From that day forward, he died for all of us. He rose again to give life to those who would believe in him. See, the ultimate act of servanthood in Jesus Christ is at the cross where he died and rose again. So let's look at these three things. Jesus came to this earth because He saw the need that you and I had. That need was great. It was something that you and I could not do a thing about. We, as the Bible would say, were helplessly and hopelessly lost. Romans, Paul puts it this way in Romans. He says, you know, every single person, everyone who has lived, who lives now, and who will live later, is a sinner. Ooh, we don't like to talk about that. We don't like to talk about that, but, but Paul puts it this way. All have sinned. And he goes on and says, fall short of the glory of God. But then Paul, in, again in Romans, tells the same group of people that the penalty or the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and deserve death. That's what Paul says to the Romans. What does he say to the Ephesians? In chapter 2, Paul says, you, and he's talking to believers at this point, but he's looking back before they came to know Christ, and he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And he further goes on, at that time, you were excluded from the family of God. But, he says, in Jesus Christ, by His death and His resurrection, you have been brought near. By grace you have been saved through faith. And he goes on. See, we get this recognition that we have a huge need. 
We have an incredible need that Jesus saw, that God knew of. That need was to have something taken care of, sin taken care of, because sin leads to death. And when we are spiritually dead, we cannot do anything. I've never seen a dead person do anything for themselves, right? we got to get that in our mind. As dead people, we were helpless and hopeless. We couldn't do a thing. There was a huge need. And the truth is, each and every one of us would have nothing to look forward to for all of eternity except hell. That's the truth. But Jesus saw the need. Those people need something. They need a once and for all sacrifice that will take away their sin. They need something. And He stooped low to meet our need, didn't He? Let me read to you Philippians. You probably have this memorized, or certainly you, you know this. But in Philippians, beginning at chapter, uh, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he's speaking of Jesus Christ, and he describes him this way in verse 6 Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He emptied. Here is God, the Son, who enjoyed the glory as God, who, who was majestic and, and glorious, and everything that we attribute to God, we attribute to God the Son, Jesus Christ. That was Him. He enjoyed glory as God. But He decided, you know what? There's a need down there, and I'm going to stoop down to meet that need, and I'm going to become man. In the Scripture, Paul interestingly uses this word servant. He became a servant. He stooped low. And then he goes on, not only a servant being born in the likeness of men, but in verse 8 he says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus saw our need, and he stooped low to meet that need. He died on the cross for our sin. But here's the incredible, wonderful news, and we talked about it a little bit last week. Jesus is not selective in who can have eternal life. He's not selective in who can have sins forgiven. He's not selective. He saw the need that we had. He stooped low to meet that need. And you know what he says in John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But there's a word there that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. That's a huge word. That says to us, He is not selective. He's not saying, yeah, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that just the rich could have everlasting life. Or those that are good enough can have everlasting life. Or those that haven't made a mess out of their life in the past can have everlasting life. Or those, or those, or those. No, the word is whosoever would put their trust and faith, believe in Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus is the ultimate example of servanthood. He saw the need. 
He stooped low to meet that need by coming to this earth and dying on that cross. And He's not selective. So, you might be here this morning. And you might be one of those whosoevers today. You might be somebody today who you're going, you know what? I have never put my trust in Jesus and what He's done for me. I'm still helplessly and hopelessly in my sin. And and one who is experiencing spiritual death, I'm still there. I've never done this. Here's the good news. Jesus, because He served, has met your need. He died on the cross as the sacrifice, once for all sacrifice for your sin today. He died so that you could have life. Isn't that crazy? He died so that your sins could be forever, for, forgiven forever. He died so that you could have an eternal relationship with Him and God the Father. He died in your place. He died to meet your great need to have sin forgiven and to receive eternal life. He died for you so that whosoever believes in Him today will not perish but have that everlasting life. Is that you today? Is the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart right now? Is it beating real fast? Or are, are you thinking, boy, oh boy, He's, he's calling, He's moving, he's, he's wanting me to do this. I pray so. I pray so. We're going to come to the communion table. The communion reminds us of what Jesus, the ultimate servant, did on our behalf. We're going to partake together of the bread which represents the body of Christ. We're going to have a a, a cup of juice, red juice that represents to us the blood of Christ. Remembering that it's through His blood where forgiveness of sin takes place. And as we do this morning, if you are here and the Lord has been knocking on your heart and He's been saying, you're the whosoever today. You're you're the one that needs to put trust and faith in Jesus and His work on the cross. You need to give yourself over to Him. You need to invite Him into your life. If He's knocking on the door of your heart today, man, open it wide for Him. Open it wide.